Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming from the Cat Cave in Warwick, Rhode Island. I'm recording this currently actually in Felicity's Playroom, uh, Modern World. Am I right? Uh, what a fucking awesome episode today we have. We got John Nix. Uh, John is from Turnstile Films, and he's a filmmaker whose documentary, Beyond Barricades, the story of the anti-flag, is actually out now. Uh, I want to give a little fun story about how this episode came to be. I popped on Twitter one day, and I saw a friend of the show, Sean Cologne. I believe John was looking to get on podcasts or something like that, but he was tweeting about something. So Sean from um, uh, Open Ended Films, or a friend of the show, tweeted at us. It's like, hey, check out Let's Chat Podcast, and I think that one time on tour, another podcast I really love. And I was like, well, Sean, you got a guest host. So uh, John said, Sean said yes, and uh, so we set this thing up. And then it kind of spiraled and built into something completely bigger than just this episode. Um, it then turned into Sean one day giving me a call saying, hey, I got this idea. He pitched me this idea of doing a punk rock documentary filmmaker roundtable uh, that Let's Chat would be, you know, we'd present it. It'd be hosted by me. And he's going to pull some people together. I was like, ah, fucking awesome. I mean, Sean's a filmmaker. He's made one of my favorite documentaries, The Fat Wreck. And then so we knew we had Sean and John. So then... Um, Within two weeks, Sean and uh, God, the Let's Chat team, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, we fucking, A, we pulled it off, but we ended up working. Um, you can watch this whole thing right now. It is on YouTube. It's on our Facebook page. And we're going to get an audio at some point as well. But um, so it ended up being myself as the host. We had Sean Cologne, who made a fat rack in Age of Audio, which is, will be coming out soon. John, who's next, who was just about to release Beyond Barricades which is really good. Uh, and then his other movie he's working on now is called Don't Fall in Love with Yourself, which is about Justin Pearson's from like The Locust. Sounds real interesting. And then Sean pulled in uh, Taylor Morton, who made uh, Pick It Up, Sky in the 90s, which was fucking incredible. And then uh, The Last Blockbuster, which is, I think, my favorite documentary ever made up ever. Like, it's definitely up there. Um, that will be coming out in December. I got to see it early. It was fucking incredible and then just top it off we had scott crawford from fucking salad days which is an incredible movie that all these punk rock docs don't even exist without salad days or i mean just documenting that scene is so important and then scott's also got uh uh the cream america's only rock and roll magazine documentary coming out next so that experience was insane uh brie benjamin mike shorts Chris Ball, you were an amazing team to work with, the last chat team. We put this together in two weeks. Sean, fucking thank you so much for trusting us and, and working with us and all of your hard work. Uh, any of the, the graphics you see, um, Taylor made a flyer. Uh, Benjamin Design made a flyer. Sean made a trailer. Sean made uh, – he made us credits. Um, you know, it, it turned into this – I thought at first it was going to be like a Zoom call – but Sean's like, no, we got to make this look good. And we put, we put, thank you, Chris Ball, especially for putting just all this, like, you know, we put in two straight weeks of working to get that round table off the table. And I think it went amazing. I know it went amazing. It, we did amazing. Everyone was wonderful and so kind and so happy. We got a lot of great feedback. We got some really cool opportunities that we can't talk about yet that have actually sprung from it. Um, I'm just still in awe that it happened. And we'll definitely be doing more like that. So if you have any ideas, let us know. But anyway, so the reason this episode was actually supposed to come out before the roundtable, but I just couldn't get my act together because we were putting a lot of focus on the roundtable. So I decided to wait a week. So you can pre-order 
the physical copy of uh, Beyond Barricades. Uh, A to F Records is going to be having a special DVD bundle for you to check out uh, with the film and a digital downloaded, and that will be on November 6th. Until then, I believe you can watch it on DOD. Um, Beyond Barricades was really good. Like I'll talk about in this episode too, but I, I liked Anti-Flag, but I didn't know a ton about them that much. I, I remember only seeing them at Warped Tour a couple times and really enjoying them. Um, so this, this documentary, I, I, it really sat with me. It, I really connected to it. I really like John's style. I like his work. I thought he's, and I actually like him as a person. He was super fun to hang out and chat with a couple times too. Uh, so definitely, he's someone I hope we get to We'll have back on in the future. Uh, but, you know, if you want to find him online, it's at John Nix on Twitter. Make sure you go to turnstylefilms.com and you can see all of his other work that him and his, all those people have done. Now, a little bit, let's just jump a little bit before we get to it to give you a little update with Let's Chat. Let's Chat is officially grown beyond the podcast. Uh, we have a whole a YouTube channel that is really growing, doing some more video stuff. We've got. Um, Producer Bree has a great video show with uh, her best bud, Nessa, called Talking Shit with Bree and Nessa, which is doing really well. And from that, we've also started Let's Chat Presents, which is right now our YouTube Facebook video, where we'll be having up-and-coming people in the podcast YouTube media world. And that's been really fucking fun, and that's starting to grow. And there's, some, again, more stuff I'm not really able to discuss right now, but uh, keep your eyes and ears open. we got some really cool stuff going on. Um one last thank you to Sean Cologne for uh, thinking of us, inviting us to do the Punk Rock Doc Roundtable because, it, A, it was an honor, and it's led to some really great stuff. And, um, I hope you like Sean as much as I do because he's definitely a good bud. And more importantly, not only did he guest host this episode, I believe next week's episode he's also guest hosting too. So he's someone you'll be hearing on here this show again. Uh, you know, you're stuck with us. Um, you know, find us online is just let's chat podcast.net. Uh, my personal Twitter and Instagram is let's chat revel uh, at let's chat podcast and all the things you can donate on Patreon. Please share the show with a friend, write a review. Uh, we do have a donation button. We're going to be finding more ways to support the show out there coming soon. Um, anyway, let's get to it. super excited about this when when sean connected us on twitter i was like all right because um um you know i i don't know about you guys and i'm actually more curious for both of you too like i i liked anti-flag it wasn't my favorite band it was a band like i would see at warp tour and stuff and then i was like oh that's cool and then when i saw they're doing a doc i was like well that's an interesting story and then when i actually watched the beyond the barricades i was like oh now I really like Andy Flag, and I had I told this to Sean. I had the same experience with like a Fat Rack. Like I actually never liked Fat Mike. I was just never a Fat Rack person. My favorite documentaries are ones where I don't really know much about the topic, and then they kind of pull me in. And uh, I found that you did that with that one. Um, actually, just like what's your what's your um what was like your relationship to that band? Like I I can't even imagine making a documentary and how many did I read you put like seven years into this. Uh, yeah, yeah. We've been working on it for a long time. Uh, we first, it's like a whole story. Uh, so hey, that's what we're here for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. We, I don't want to hear any stories. <laughs> so so here, I'll, I'll do the first part. Uh, 
I really wanted to like anti-flag in high school. Like I, I, I remember Same. seeing, I remember seeing the the a new kind of army cover, and I was just like, well, yeah, yeah, of course, I'm sold. Like this is going to be a me band. And then I heard it, and now I know that like it's just the production that was throwing me off. Like I just like could not connect to it. It was too chintzy and tinny for like what I was used to, and um. I just kind of slept on them, but like quietly, you know, respected them. Like I, like I knew that they were doing good work and like I agreed with them because uh, I listened to plenty of other political bands. Um, and then Chris Stowe, who is their label manager, lived in Cleveland for a while and we ended up working in the same building and that's how we met. Uh, and we just, like, we just became friends. Like we, we realized we had the same friend circle and we would just talk every day and then moved back to Pittsburgh, got that job and then was like, hey, we have hundreds of hours of tapes, like VHSs and mini DV tapes. Like, do you want to do something with this? Uh, and so that's when I go back into them. And I listened to that whole like post label stint that they did, like the people with the gun and like all of it like really connected, like between the really like the way heavier songs and the pop punk songs. Like I was like, suddenly it all like made sense in my brain. Um, and so I was just like, yeah, this is like a thing I can get behind. I think this is a thing that I could do a documentary on. So we met with them in 2013 uh, and like, you know, I got the tapes and we just kind of talked it out and decided what we wanted to do with it. And then basically the first year after that was just spent on like importing all the tapes, organizing it, cutting through all that B-roll, like trying to find a story in all of that footage before we even shot any interviews. And then we just shot everything else on and off over the like following years in between a bunch of other projects we were doing. Yes, so you're like doing jobs and stuff. And then uh, you said you went something about Pittsburgh, so you're not from Ohio. Oh, no, I'm, no. well, I'm from Florida. Uh, and, then I'm, and then I moved to Ohio when I was like 14. Was it Lakeland, okay. Lakeland so, Florida? Yeah, in Lakeland, Florida. I read your bio. <laughs> I took notes. Yeah. I was like, where's this guy from? <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, it's right like dead center in the state. It's like halfway between Tampa and Orlando. Um, and it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's Florida. <laughs> so. Yeah, I lived in Coral Springs for about four years. My folks live okay. down there in Coral Springs. And I have some friends, like Gainesville, obviously, because of Fest mm. and um, all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm familiar with the, where that is on the turnpike there. <laughs> yeah. So what, what brought you to Cleveland? Um, my grandma, uh, wanted to move up here after her husband died uh so she could kind of like live her last few years with like her other kids uh oh. that all lived up here still so we like just all moved up together like me her and my mom that's awesome i've only been to cleveland once and i have to say that 30 rock episode did it right like i like i'm from new england i grew up in connecticut but i live in rhode island and like when you grow up in the northeast you get it's really not fair but you have like a really you get raised with this implicit bias against the south and the midwest and mm -hmm. that's terrible and then you go there and you're like this is beautiful everybody's nice uh no one people aren't their state government but you know it's like that and i remember just being blown away by cleveland i went I, obviously i went to like the rock and roll hall of fame and like the fucking mm -hmm the fucking lake and the food and we only got to, I only spent like a day there but I remember just being like kind of blown away and be like huh maybe I'm wrong about the rest of America maybe it's all nice what you yeah, really thought that <laughs> when you grow up in the northeast I'm not kidding like you just get raised to like you shit on the south and you shit on the midwest and like like it, it, it's it's very like subconscious it's not like outright like fuck the south but like there's always little jokes about like it's always that thing no one talks yeah like growing as like a kid big time oh my god like i i mean if you gave me a map 
without any of the like of the of the, the, the states and you had to like you know fill in fill it in like you see those like little kids do like no one in new england could do the midwest I'm like, yeah, oh. fu- fucking yankees yeah, yeah I, the thing is the thing is i kind of get it um and, and like i have and i have a and i have a handful of friends from the east coast uh, like specifically connecticut and yeah no i mean it's it's all like fuck you leave me alone yeah um, oh my god yeah. <laughs> um, i always find the midwesterners like, so friendly and it really fucks with it, it, it kind of screws messes messed me up the first like not in a bad way i just i was very thrown off by it when i'd be down like the first time it was in north carolina or like iowa or, or even actually ohio too and or well, i remember like stopping making my friend we were driving cross country stop in sandusky just for tommy boy and <laughs> everyone knew what we were doing and they were not rude to us about it um but, yeah well, i i don't know I, it's uh i i think cleveland's a little angrier than the rest of the state like we're not as angry as pittsburgh pittsburgh is like when we, were, when we were there on a shoot day, the one day we got ran off the road by a guy with a handlebar mustache that like walked out of his car and started trying to threaten us. <laughs> so Hey, I got a Pittsburgh uh, story. <laughs> go for it. So it's, it's short. We were trying to shoot a thing and we were following this band, uh, Wilhelm Scream, at, to one of their shows. And we were going to film and kind of do what you did with the getting out of the, the van and all that kind of stuff. And we were following them from, from um, New York to... Uh, to uh, Pittsburgh, and they wouldn't let us in. To the venue <laughs> or to Pittsburgh? Into Pittsburgh, yeah. We, wait, no, I'm thinking of Philadelphia, I think. Never mind. That was a Philadelphia story. I'm sorry. <laughs> I retracted all that. I'll cut that right out. Which one is the right – is it Philly or Pittsburgh that threw batteries at Santa at the hockey game in, like, the 90s or 80s? I think it's Philly. Pittsburgh is where my mom is from. Philly is where I was – the place I don't like. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Until but, uh, I failed that story. All right. Uh, no, I, 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 well, I was just—I was just gonna say. I kind of—I I get the disdain for the Midwest in a, in a sense because the Midwest is like, it's dotted with really rad cities. Like Chicago's awesome, and Indianapolis is pretty rad, and Cleveland's cool, and Columbus is like, especially right now, Columbus is great. They have like this brand new hardcore scene that's full of super talented bands, uh, like on the come up. And but like in between that is just garbage like all the way through and like especially us being like the always talked about like main swing state uh, of every election like it's just like yeah we have like three cities that are all going to be blue and the rest of the state is just like just a swath of deep red you know so texas right i can definitely see like people looking down in those sections of the state um because it's not even like oh they're bad because they're rural it's like they're bad because like a lot of that stuff is like very regressive and there's not a lot going on and they're better because there's not a lot of opportunity but at the same time they're kind of just attacking everyone around them and they wonder why like no one wants to be there well i think that cleveland i was actually thinking about this today is like everyone uh where a lot of the middle of the country is like those coasts i hate the coasts and i'm like that's where everyone who has smart works with money and the main industries of the country are all the tech everything everything that generates all the value for, of america yeah like the the biggest things i mean it's not only there but those are the where people go to make things happen it's the people from the middle of the country go there so like it consists yeah. of people not just that are just from the east coast or the west coast it consists of people who are like and i'm not someone who did that i chose you know i come i come to dallas yeah but but i, I don't i'm not, nothing against those 
And I was yeah. born in New York, you know what I mean? I, yeah, I, that's the funny part about going to somewhere like LA is like half of LA's population is from Ohio. I mean, <laughs> it, with, with the last time I was out there, the only sports gear I saw was Cavaliers sports gear everywhere. Like I saw like 20 jerseys while I was out there. It was like, no Lakers, no nothing. Okay, I guess that's it. <laughs> No, it's, it, maybe they hate them because they're like, you left us behind. It's like, well, if you, if, if, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, although I, I am one of those people that encourages, I think it should be encouraged for people to leave those, you know, necessarily New York. And um, I don't think that's a good self-sort. I think, you know, those people should, you know, be doing, I think people should be make, making movies everywhere. You know, I like, you know, you're up there and you said Ohio, that's right. You're yeah, Ohio. Cleveland, baby. Um, and Cleveland, I'm, I'm in Dallas making punk rock documentaries. Like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, I appreciate those places though. That's where all the people who give, give money for arts and music and care about all that yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm mixing the whole thing. You know, I, I get, I get the call of the coast, but at the same time, it's just like, it's just, you're just going to leave like, a cultural desert if like every cool person from every place just exactly trying to like build yeah. something there um and then at the same time like you aren't going to get a diversity of stories like i definitely agree with you and like you definitely need to tell stories in different places like i'm interested in dallas stories because there aren't a lot of dallas stories and it's the same way with the the midwest like we can't all like every movie can't just be about like sad people and brownstones in new york oh, right yeah. no right i mean it's like uh hi, have you seen high maintenance no but i, I know of it no I hadn't seen it before I had to, so it's, um, it's, but it's about like a, a, a guy who sells weed in New York, but it's all these different stories of people in New York, and they're not necessarily all, like, they're tangentially connected sometimes, or sometimes their stories, like, converge, but it's really just, like, these separate stories of people, but it's all just mostly people, New York people, like, actors, and, mm-hmm. and like, uh, like, public radio people, and, like, all that kind of stuff, and it's, I mean, it's great. Sure. It's cool. It's well done, but it's like, I agree with what you're saying is that there's maybe if people told stories, what you're doing, like, and not going to the coast as I, I mean, I, I just don't understand the hatred of the coast, but I do oh, yeah, uh, yeah. agree with, I don't understand with hatred of any particular area because almost anywhere you go, you find mostly good people. I mean, even in LA, there are mostly good people. And by the way, I'll just say this about Rhode Island some of the nicest people I have ever met in my life are from like Rhode Island area and, and uh, up in New Bedford. Um, New Bedford. You know, New Bedford. Uh, you know, straight up, like some of the coolest communities. I, 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 I mean, I, 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 after hanging out with some of those communities, I was like, I don't know, West Coast, great, pretty cool. But East Coast, it's like real. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I love the having like visited both quite a bit in the last few years just for movies and stuff like that and uh west coast is great because of weather uh like i mean it's just 70 and beautiful every single day um, was, was. but yeah they had was. 120 degrees <laughs> yeah. last summer with um, fires everywhere <laughs> i don't know but yeah no i, I just feel i feel like <laughs> sorry, i couldn't sorry. live there no 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 <laughs> i feel like i feel like i couldn't live there though like because uh, it's not angry enough. Like I, like I love the like disaffected, detached anger of the East Coast. It's the very like, do whatever you want to do. Leave me out of it. I'm staring down at my feet or my phone. I don't want to talk to you. 
and like everyone's busy doing their own thing and i like i really like that sort of like um hyper focused like uh disassociative ambition of it um but, but it's like where, uh, where like LA, la always like feels it, it reminds me of a of a tourist town. la actually reminds me a lot of growing up in like florida like tourist towns yes uh where it's a lot of like come on in come on give us your money what do you like we'll make whatever you like it, it's a lot of like schmoozy i don't want to call it fakeness because it's like a cliche i think it's i think it's a little more complicated than that um but that's the, it's, that's the quick way to say it though it feels yeah. it doesn't feel authentic and maybe rather it, it doesn't or as authentic um i was talking to somebody about this because i was raised in the south i was raised in savannah georgia um and there's just a friendliness and, and that's why i think i pref i moved to dallas because we lived here for a little bit and i moved and then i moved to florida with my folks but then i moved back to dallas and my sister lived in Los my sister lived in LA and I had family in New York. And so I could have gone to either of those places because I wanted to do music. And I was mm -hmm. like, but I was like, I'll go to Dallas because I went to school to be an audio engineer. And so I went, there was this, uh, this studio here that turned into a school and it was where like Stevie Ray Vaughan and a bunch of famous bands had recorded and it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, but I didn't go to LA, you know what I mean? I didn't go yeah. uh, to, a, to a, and I didn't plan on being a filmmaker per se, um, is, but like, I, I, but I'll say this, if you wanna work, if you wanna be a screenwriter for TV, if you wanna be a crew person on major films, you have to go to like either Atlanta or Los Angeles to be on those crews, like, you know, for the most part on, on bigger movies. But I think for what we do, it doesn't, yeah, definitely. We're, we're non-specific yeah. to any particular area because we can, do it anywhere but if you're and that's because we're kind of in charge of our own destinies in a lot of ways but if you're an actor it's it's really challenging to not go to LA I mean oh yeah yeah I, I feel like they're the people where you have to where I think other people can kind of get stories off the ground other places and especially without the rent costs right and that's my thing I mean I I mean I I had a pretty you know pretty decent lifestyle considering I'm a independent filmmaker you know oh yeah you know, like um you know, what they, what they, what is it? The, there's a thing that says, if you want to be a filmmaker, marry a lawyer <laughs> or marry a doctor or marry like, you know, like, like marry someone who's going to have a stable job so that you can get health insurance. Yeah, um, yeah but, definitely. But um, yeah, anyway, I was, uh, we lost. No, I mean, no, no. I mean, I feel the same way with Cleveland. I mean, we're like one of the cheapest, we're one of the poorest cities in the country, but we're also one of the cheapest cities to live in um and like when you try to say what you pay for rent or like a mortgage out here for what size it is like people just like lose their mind on the coast like i just remember getting into these conversations when we were filming out there and we're just like are you fucking kidding me like that's that's what you're getting away with i'm like yeah yeah it's super low overhead and it's like you can find like a well-paying job then like it's it's not uncomfortable to live here well and now like um i'm uh i had been uh, doing Lyft and Uber for the last few. In fact, shooting a movie uh, when I was in New Bedford, the reason I knew everyone's so nice is because at the time Lyft let you go anywhere. You could do Lyft anywhere that it, the state laws allowed. And so when we did work on this movie, it uh, has the guys in a Wilhelm scream and, and a few other uh, uh, creatives. And uh, we were all, we were up in that part of the country for like a month and I couldn't afford to not work for a month. Mm -hmm. you know, completely. So what I did is like in the mornings, I would do uh, Lyft 
in the particular town we were in, you know, like, and, and we, since we were three weeks in, uh, we were three weeks in New Bedford. So I would go down to Rhode Island about 30 minutes away uh, and do lift for a few hours and then head back up and we'd, we'd start shooting. Um, nice. That's yeah, even resourceful. Was, uh, we went up, I, I drove my car into Canada because we, we went up to the, like, I didn't do lift in Canada, but I did it in Detroit. And mm -hmm. like, uh, like um, I don't, it's much more, I actually did in California too. Like I, I drove like because we wouldn't film. I would just go like, well, I'll go, we got downtime. I'll go for a few hours, just drive around, you know? Was, yeah. Um, That's but, cute, but what I, but since the, all this, COVID things started happening back in March. I stopped doing that because for obvious reasons. But uh, I just found out like Google and a bunch of other tech, big tech companies are offering like these certification courses and they're honoring them as four year degrees. Like if you go through this course, like a like certain uh, like courses that Google offers, if you go to apply, you don't have to go to, they're going to treat it like a four year degree, you know? And oh, that, gotcha. And now that a lot of their stuff is remote, I'm like, well, I can, I'm home. I can go online, like, do a couple hours of learning, do a couple hours of editing. And then here come when, you know, unemployment runs out or whatever. Yeah. Um, rather than go back to driving, which I could do you know, a little bit if I wanted to, but you know, it's like that remote thing. I don't, you know, kind of tying it into what we're talking about. You don't have to be any particular place. You yeah. can, you know, there's so many, and even with um, actors, I think that's going to become less of a thing because a lot of, not, a lot of uh, auditions, I think for the next few years are going to be, you know, Zoom, Skype auditions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, silver linings to everything that's going on. I do feel like it's going to force companies into actually taking steps forward to make um, things more flexible for their employees. And like the idea of like, keeping people under their thumb and you have to have them there every second of the day and watch them. And like, oh, like that whole like weird paternalistic, like got my eye on you time to lean, time to clean kind of thing is going to go out the window just because there's just no way to control it. And the thing is, is that people end up being more productive anyway, when they feel like they're not being threatened all the time. I can't and work like, that way. Like locked in. Yeah, no, neither can I. I, I immediately get resentful and then I just like dig a hole. Right. Like, I'm not going to, I don't do anything now. I, I would have done everything on my own volition. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, if we make movies, you know, you'll work to the ends of like, God, making movies is so fucking hard. Um, yeah. I, just, I, yeah. I, I, I voluntarily spend hours and hours of every week <laughs> of my life working on a thing that I don't know if it's going to work for me. <laughs> like, yeah, right. I'll do your work that you're paying me consistently to do. Uh, it's uh, like I, one of my first jobs is tech support. Uh, it, like back, I'm I, th I think I'm older than you. I'm like 40, so I'm. It was back when gateway okay. computers existed. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm 32. Okay, so the, not not too far, but yeah, like you you probably gateway computers had kind of think kind of even tech support in the U.S. You know, kind of got away for the most part. But um, like uh, I had a point to that. The tech support had i had something i was going to say but now i lost it that train left and i was not on board <laughs> but i i was going to ask you um like kind of getting bringing it back to like filmmaking stuff like what what was the thing are you one of those kids that was like i want to be a filmmaker when i grew up and i saw this movie i saw jaws and, or i saw like jurassic park and i knew i wanted to be a filmmaker or is it i want to do like how did you 
was this like a long time thing or was this something that you eventually found that you wanted to do? Uh, no, it was kind of, I mean, there were like variations on it. Like I kind of vaguely wanted to be an artist and like for a while as a kid after I, like Disney used to put all of these uh, like making of featurettes at the end of their VHSs. And so I remember for a while getting really into the idea of becoming like a Foley artist uh, because they had like all the old guys with like coconuts being like, this is how you make horses. Yeah. Um, but it's always been kind of in the same realm. And so it's never really been anything. It, it's not weirdly, I, with you asking, I feel like it's not really that much of a conscious decision. I was just like, well, this is just what I'm gonna do. Right. <laughs> I was like, but, I was like, I'm gonna, I was like, I'm gonna make, I was like, I, I did music for the longest time. And then there was a, an event that happened that kind of like 10 years of doing our like recording studio and our band and everything had kind of come to a like a abrupt end. And I was like, well, what am I gonna, what am I gonna do? What, what am I gonna do next? <laughs> I was like, mm -hmm. well, I'm start, I, I wanna do, I've always wanted to do film, cause I did a, um, um, you know, um, you know, audio and film, like audio visual stuff in, in high school, you know, like, but my focus mm -hmm. was more on the audio side, but we had to, you know, in the class, you had to like make a short mm -hmm. edit and yeah. make a short film, like that make, not a short film, but like little, little like animation things. And, and I was like, I was doing it because I wanted to do audio. But after that was over, I was like, you know, you know, I, I, would, I would like to do more visual stuff. And then I, I had the, um, it just happened very quickly. Like that fat rec doc was like, we did like, I did three music videos and I was the marketing director for this like talent development school where like Demi Lovato and Jessica Simpson and a bunch of other like, and that kids bop, you know, kids bop. Like, yeah, of course. Like I, I, <laughs> yeah. I taught the, uh, briefly for like, you know, a week or two, the kids bop kids social media stuff and things like that. Uh, but we did, they did music videos because I brought them in house and so I was producing them and then I started shooting some stuff. But we did like three music videos. The third music video was a $20,000 music video. Jesus. <laughs> I've never had that budget. It, it was, I mean, this was not, this was within this realm. It was a bunch of rich people. Like, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? It was like, people are spending, a, on a, like a 12 year old spending $30,000 a year for the school. Like these are like some of the richest parents in Dallas. Yeah, it's know? like the, the Friday video. Yes. Yes. Uh, all the, uh, but uh, like much the people that I was working for on this particular video, they were, they had a lot of money, but you wouldn't have known it. They were like one of those more humble families and it was a country music video, but we had, <laughs> we had, uh, it was a, a location shoot. We, I, I had hired a, a, a production company to, to work with us, you know, cause I was producing it and I had mm -hmm. my buddy directing it and we had like, uh, catered food, like pies, like custom pies, like all kind of like three meals during the day. The crew was staying at places. Like it was uh, a location, you know, location. We had a car and a motorcycle, <laughs> all this like, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> Obviously that's not how they always go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, but during making that, we made a, a little, like a behind the scenes little making of feature and that was like the first thing that I had made that was like a mini documentary you know it was like a had like a story of us shooting the thing and the family they screened the video at a movie at a movie theater but we, because I had made this thing they're like yeah let's screen that before so I got to see this thing that I made on big screen in front of an audience and we had some jokes in it and the jokes landed and it was like 
that's, you know that feeling when you when when some when an emotional thing a beat lands and you're in the back watching it and like and it lands and you're like dance puppets um, <laughs> you know so I get, you get that you're like wow this is amazing like, like this thing that I worked on that I was hoping this moment would happen here it's happening and I'm getting the reaction that I hoped for yeah absolutely and then uh, how's the oh sorry no go ahead no go ahead how's um that because I know you're like at the end of your run with this movie coming out I know uh, October 3rd like what's that experience been for you screening it and like getting to the end of the marathon oh I mean because you can't do the theaters like we yeah yeah, I mean we haven't we haven't screened it for anyone yet other than like people that I've shown it to so I haven't had to like deal with that on this project as far as like seeing people's uh like reactions and just like slumping down in my seat like I've done (laughs) is that good or bad do you think I'm sorry. Is that like a good thing you think, or is that a bad thing? Oh, I just have like bad anxiety. Like, so I don't like it. I don't want to. I don't want to be there and like watch these people watch the thing I made. I want to like. Hey, that sounds so uncomfortable. I want to like just crouch down in the corner of the theater with my head, like hand in my head. Like, and even like if it does well, like I mean, you know, we we've had plenty of short films like play at festivals and stuff. Like the, our our one, this one called Draw Hard ended up playing in like a giant shorts screening that had like over 600 people was like totally sold out and like did great. And I was still just like sweating bullets and just like couldn't watch the screen, like even during the other pieces. Wow, uh, so that's, I know like, that my, feeling for sure. Uh, yeah, okay. but then I mean, it was fine. Like people, people liked it. And then we did in like weirdly like the, the Q&A at the end is like the easiest. Thing. Like I can stand up in front of a group of people and talk. I'm not bothered by that. It's like the thing that I made. Hmm. Uh, like I don't like that. <laughs> Well, that's because it's very, it's, I was going to say, it's because you're very, it's like you're putting, um, it's a, a vulnerable moment. Like you're really, because like, especially like if you worked on this movie for seven years, um, you know, off and on for seven years, uh, I'm sure it wasn't like every day you were shooting. Oh, God, no, 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 yeah. Um, that you lived with it that long, because I, I definitely, you just definitely made me feel better. <laughs> No, it it always it always takes it always takes too long. Like every every single thing takes. I wish that I could like be one of those like Soderbergh types that get out like three things in a year and they're all great and polished. Yeah, but you if you it have money, so long. If you have yeah, money, I know. I don't know. It's money. It's money. If you have money, and you it's have money a, and time. Yeah. Because if you have money, you can build a. You can the think of the people you could hire to work yeah. on it full time. Like, cause imagine if you're full circle of all the people that you work with on your film stuff, you were able to be like, all right, everybody stop what you're doing. Like, I got money to pay for everybody for the next mm-hmm. year. Let's, we can, well, all we gotta do, I mean, COVID times not, you know, <laughs> not, not, uh, you know, here, hereafter, that's not the factor. The whole world's gonna shut down. Uh, you can go and shoot stuff because you can go and especially depending on what the documentary is. I mean, but I don't know if with this documentary you could have done it much faster. I mean, if it's it's weird because like I really because this thing was almost done like three years ago, okay. and it was nearly twenty sixteen, right? Nothing that would have uh, impacted your documentary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, and, and I mean, honestly, it was ready to go even before it was ready to go in a, in a form uh, before sure. the election, uh, and then it kind of like, it didn't get released because I was very like, we should probably put it out before the election and just kind of couldn't get like final sign offs. And it was sort of like, yeah, I don't know. Let's, let's just kind of wait it out. Uh, And then like the election happened and everyone's just like, oh God, what do we do now? (laughs) Uh, And so we just, you know, started shooting new stuff because if anything, it's, I think it's more important now than it would have been then. Like, I think the movie's going to do better yeah. and people are going to connect way more to it. I mean, people are so much more radicalized now 
than they were three, four years ago. Oh my God. No, I, I think it's perfect timing. I think it's uh, yeah. uh, anti-flag. I mean, it's like, to me that when I, when I hear that, it, I used to think of the American flag and now I think of those massive Trump flags. Because mm -hmm. I, I was saying, I was saying this to someone. I was saying this, I think, on Twitter. I was like, Trump, Trump uh, supporters are. If you go look, they're not. They're they're not Americans. I mean, they're not American. Or not. They're not. Their primary thing isn't America. Because if you look, who has the bigger flag? When you see those trucks going by, the American flag isn't always the biggest one. The yeah. Trump flags. I, I mean, I've I've seen people fly it around here, like where it's above the American flag, it's which above is it. just like, yeah, it's like a total. These are just like basic flag etiquette rules. Like they get all pissed when people burn a flag, you know, in some foreign country somewhere yeah, without context. And like, but then they can just fly that above it. That's so much mm -hmm. worse. No, so I've been going all along. I'm like the most un-American people are Trump supporters. Oh. If, you, if, you, if you really like America and Americans, then why would you support that someone who's like, is bigger than America and is using America as a, platform for themselves sure. it's pure yeah. it's pure unadulterated it's the distillation of everything that's wrong with capitalism in a human being <laughs> oh yeah yeah I, oh my I, god I question for you uh john though because you had to do quite the juxtaposition to like cover 9-11 plus the election and then the personal tragedy of the band and yeah. i still walk away from your film and i still feel hopeful for the world and like, I don't know how you did that. So like, was your, um, like going into that, like, how did you not go down the, let's call, I'm gonna be honest, how did you not do the Trump rabbit hole? Because it, it's, especially with the liberal type, it, I, myself included, it's so easy just to be like, that could have just been, you could have made a whole documentary about that and maybe get that dollar, 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 like get that like clickbait shit, but you didn't do that. And I, I found it so fascinating that like, I don't know, but in a movie about like that, uh, was it Chris number two? Is it Chris number two who lost his sister, which was yeah. breaking, and then the 9 11 stuff, and then the election. And then somehow I come out of that, that thing, be like, all right, you know what? These motherfuckers who I probably ignored have inspired a generation of people, including like the co drives. And like, what was your balance with that, man? How, do you do, how did you do that? Um, how do you make art? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of went into it fairly cynical um like i definitely think like i i definitely thought that like protests could do something but i feel like no one would ever be committed enough to it to make it do something so i was kind of coming from almost an angle of like i don't know if any of this like works or is worthwhile and i was ready to be like combative about it like and more critical honestly of their outlook but I mean, as we just got like deeper and deeper into it, I, it just, just like, no, no, it's like, these are actually affecting, especially once you started getting into like, you know, Black Lives Matter starting and a lot of other in women's march and all that stuff that like really started sure. up. Um, as far as it not being- money and buying your own studio. Like, yeah. Which is just a brilliant, I remember listening to one of them, I think on Going Off Track uh, podcast talking about that and how they use like corporate money to like change laws and stuff. and. That was the era. I remember people calling anti-flag a sellout because they signed to a major. And like yeah. watching your doc too, it kind of made me think. I was like, all right, so we can have money and have nice things. It's it's what we do with it. Chumbawamba. Yeah, uh, yeah. Chumbawamba. Yeah, Chumbawamba. Yeah, Chumbawamba is a great example. Wait, wait, wait. Fucking crass, bro. Crass. Is this a joke? No, Chumbawamba is. Uh, it's a group. The guys who made that song, they're a group of anarchists, and they. What? Yeah, it's like this is. Go, you don't know about Chumbawamba. So I honestly thought you were kidding for the first no. time. Like, 
Like when your joke is not landing. Do, do, do you remember the band? Uh, like, uh, do you remember uh, Crass? You ever heard of Crass? Uh, the name sounds familiar, but nothing. I'm like, it's like they're help. old school, like British, and like, like they're like Jesus died for his own sins, not mine, or, or like a band from the Roxy. Okay, never much for playing there. Any, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, so, I know what you're talking about. Oh, good. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, <laughs> that was a treat for all you listeners. Um, <laughs> uh, but Crass, like those guys, they're all anarchists and they, they've been doing music forever and know music and knew how to write a hit song. And so they wrote Chumbawamba. You get you know, every element of a pop song. Perfect. Drinking song. They took all the money from that song and invested it back into ant, uh, uh, pro uh anarchist organizations that, that they, no. they supported. Yeah, so what they did is they're like, we're going to- Inclu- Including tons of Coca-Cola money because they had a huge Coca-Cola, uh, oh, like- Yeah. Uh, sponsor- not sponsorship. Um, like they licensed it to Coca-Cola and got like an obscene amount of money. And a bunch and of movies? Really true- yeah, yeah. It was it, like that Chumble Woman song is huge. And like, especially like that, that was a brilliant move. And like, I saw a lot of that in like the anti-flag, like during that part. Uh, of, yes. Like, I was like, oh shit, this is- but I, I, it's not every, not every group has that opportunity presented to them. And I, I think, I think they're smart dudes. I mean, I think they're really smart dudes. I thought they were pretty smart. I mean, I, I always thought they were smart dudes, but I mean, definitely from the movie, I have a, a, a even greater respect for them. Cause I, I, mm. I like, um, we talked to Chris number two in the fat rec doc and uh, we, we were lucky. Well, we went and filmed, uh, like recorded some group vocals with them uh when they came to dallas uh before we did the thing i know i think it was the one of the most recent albums um it was kind of it was awesome it was cool um but um, even with that and kind of knowing them a little bit i had no idea the depth um of what they had gone through when they did their major label thing i i i i think i had forgotten that they had gone to a major record label yeah same yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that's the joke of all that 90s stuff, I think, is like, I think it really shows the privilege of the 90s, like independent of, of Anti-Flag or any other band that I like. I mean, sure. uh, I think that like being anti-people, like making money at a thing that they're good at or like signing to a major label or like doing a, a studio movie or whatever. I think, I feel like all that comes from like this weird detached privilege of just like no like you need money to actually create things like Mm -hmm. do you just want people to like have basement recordings forever or like for for me like i don't want to have to make movies for like no nothing on weekends for the rest of my life like i'd like to be able to have like a career and make like at least a like a living off of it like nothing insane you know make some uh pro q and on documentaries you'll make a lot of money oh god oh what what i was gonna say before is uh you're asking about how um like why did I didn't go into Trump? Um, and honestly, the I just didn't want to look through all that like news footage. Honestly, I, I just didn't feel like I was going to get much out of it anyway. I appreciate it's, that as a watcher. It's all the same sentence fragments over and over again. Um, but also, like, there's not a lot. I don't feel. I feel like there's not a market for it. I feel like he's so disgusting to people that it's not like the Bush era where there's all of this like subterfuge mm. where there could be like a documentary that came out about like the inner machinations of Washington like every other month you know there's so many no, anti-Bush documentaries I agree. and I just feel like there's not a like a market for that now um well, I'll say like I'm working on the the podcast documentary and there's a part that we 
we go into uh, about <laughs> doing a podcast documentary, but we go into the <laughs> the protests at, uh, up in uh, Berkeley with uh, with the, the the Antifa and the uh, Patriots Prayer got into it. Uh, there was a there was a journal a, a podcast journalist there that jumped in and kind of saved this guy's whole story. And so yes. as, a, as I was working on it, like. I'm like, and because I have this standing thing that I don't want to put him in any of my movies, <laughs> like at all. Like, I mean, not that you don't like. It's just like it's not like ignoring it. It's just like I don't want to like. It's like okay, we all know, we, like yeah. we all know, and and like like there's a like he's in it a little bit because the guy's called a Trump supporter. But I had the footage of him like talking about like they're good because we we go to talk about Charlottesville because like the setup for what happened in this place. And I had in there the footage of him, you know, Trump talking. I was like, I don't need that. I, so I, I, you know, I just, yeah. I don't need every, every, I don't everyone need, knows. Like, and I don't need to hear him talk. I don't need to see him. I don't need to hear him. You know, no, I mean? for sure. And, and, and for sure, it's a conscious decision because I don't want. Like, I think that the worst thing right now is that we're talking about him. Yeah. So let's, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's just leave um, his name out of the rest of this conversation. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. So it, to to finish to finish sorry, the question. Sorry, um, sorry. Oh no, 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 no. It's fine. Uh, as far as like going positive with it, uh, it's I, I feel like I don't have a good answer for it uh, because I mean I guess I, guess I do. I, I'm just kind of like a, a fairly cynical person. Like I I I feel like everything is like pretty absurd and like not good. <laughs> um, but I guess the thing is, I feel like the weird underhanded positive to everything that's happening is that it's finally making conservative values like blatantly obvious. And like, he's, you know, people always say, like he says the quiet part out loud. Like, it's just like the thing that he said about like, oh, if we don't count the ballots and I won't have to transfer the power. It's just like, shut the fuck up. You're not supposed to say that part. And so I feel like it's finally letting all these people who were like giving them plausible deniability and yeah. like allowing them to just like, oh, come on, he has to be a decent guy. I mean, look at him, he has a family, he has a daughter, like whatever, that kind of stuff. I feel like all that's out the window because it's just like they're all, they've all been revealed as monsters. And I think that that's what's radicalized everyone so much. So I feel like it is a net positive. Like, like I mean, it's getting, it's getting worse every day, but at the same time, I feel like it's kind of allowing them as like a party and as ideas to die off. I mean, if you look at public opinion polls, they have no grounding in people that are under 50 like yeah. like and, and like they're losing support at people that are older i mean it, the ideas feel like they're literally going to die off i feel like there's always gonna be an insane crazy uh like conservative faction no matter what it always is like part of a subculture but i well, feel they'll like never have an anti-flag if we don't have that <laughs> i mean if there's like no reagan hey then... i mean you know what uh it's that thing that there will always be a flag. Oh, I was just gonna say. I feel like I feel like it's like this. There will always I feel like it's be like another what the flag. Comedians have said before. <laughs> I feel like it's what the stand-up comedians have said before. Where like, oh man, you guys are gonna be so sad when he's out of office because you're not gonna have all this easy material. And then they're like, I can talk about literally anything else. I don't yeah, have to do this. Like, there are there are so many other horrible things to be focused on. It's yeah. it's 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 it pulls focus away from every other terrible sure. thing that's going on, yeah. and it, it ends up being. And that, that's the, that's the show. I mean, that's the show. That's so, the, like, uh, I have a question. <laughs> as long as, let's, uh, as, long as about, it's not about 45, I'll allow it. <laughs> no, it's about the movie actually. Cause I, 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 I want to say like those parts, the dramatic parts were really awesome. And like, yeah. was really, you know, the, 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 Thank you. 
was unexpected. Uh, the dramatic part at the end was unexpected. But I'll tell you what I really love, and I and I, I feel a large kinship was the when you were home with his family when it's with his mom yes. and dad. Best part. So like I'm I'm like when I watch that part like there's this other movie I'm working on. It's called Lifer. It's about the Wilhelm Scream guys. You know Wilhelm mm-hmm. Scream, right? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. The documentary we're making about them is about it. We interviewed all. It's all we stay in that. That mm-hmm. we stay in that space. The the like with the family. That's the movie. The movie's in that space. We're talking oh, nice. about. All, it's about all the support systems it takes for, like a mid-level band to be able to exist because it's not just the fans there has to be all these other people and uh uh new new bedford has a really interesting story with the skate but anyway but i, I should say like that i wanted I, I, that was so cool to hear about his parents like and talk to them and like know like seeing where he came from was so fucking rad I yeah. grew up in a Unitarian family, and they never get play anywhere. So I was like, "Oh my <laughs> fucking god!" Uh, we're uh, we're uh, we're technically Unitarians. Our household. Um, my my nice. wife. My wife is uh, like my. You know, I'm. I don't really claim anything in particular, but like I go with her to that. You know. Yeah. Like, well, the UUs are like my my dad. Well, my dad's side but like the, the joke of the Unitarian Universalist for those who are not familiar is uh, there's like a joke that explains the religion very well it's like the only time you hear uh, God's name in the Unitarian church is when the janitor falls off the ladder <laughs> well I don't, I don't know like that's I mean that hasn't been my experience to be honest with you like it's very like they talk about Jesus but in a different way and they do talk about it's just very inclusive. It's just inclusive of yeah. all kind of thoughts, I, and it's and it's it's a. It, I like the philosophy behind it. I'm, I just don't feel like I, I was raised Catholic, and I just feel the least like like. And I didn't have like a terrible experience, but I just, in a church, I just don't feel I, I, I'm bored sure. out of my word, and I don't I don't feel that that connection with the greater or whatever. Like I'm like, where are we leaving? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I was raised Catholic too. Uh, I actually went to Catholic school from like kindergarten to eighth grade. Same. So, All right. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. So I was an I, altar boy and everything. I remember. Uh, uh, I, yeah. Altar <laughs> so, boy. Um, but yeah, no. I it's it, I don't know. It's funny. I I remember like I used to take like sermons very serious. I'm like just generally into like philosophy or like political theory, just thinking about like ideas as much as I yeah. can. And um. I remember like the moment I stopped believing God in church because I just remember, I don't even remember what the sermon was about. I just remember being like, oh, I don't, I don't think I believe in any of this. <laughs> I was like 10, 11 years old. Right. So I was just being like, well, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Like, because I just liked the stability that being an altar boy uh, like gave me. I was in a pretty rocky household situation. So uh, like, I just liked it as a consistent thing. But yeah, you know, I just remember it. It was weird, I guess, being encouraged to look more into those ideas, the more you just end up falling out of it. I feel like as the experience of a lot of Catholics. Oh, that's definitely... Did that lead you to punk rock, you think? Um, I was kind of always into heavier music. I mean, like, I got, yeah. like, re- really into, like, new metal and stuff in, like, yeah, awesome. school because I was, like, because I was angry. Who? who? You know, so name, was, seven, name three. Uh, Are we all the same age? I'm 36. 32. Okay, so we're going to have some, all right, so yeah, we'll probably have some, I mean, New Metal is how I found punk. So the, um, name, name three that you like, just off the top of your head. I, I, was, I was super into corn. Uh, I was yes. super into Slow Knot, and I really like Cold Chamber. Oh, big truck. Cold Chamber. <laughs> big truck. 
Um, for, for some reason, <laughs> last like four or five episodes, new metal has been coming up, and for some reason, they have this ferocity to keep defending it. And I will still go to bat to say the first Limp Biscuit album is actually really good, and Head PE, uh, I still fucking love. I still Dude, listen to Corn. Corn. Corn is such an interesting band because they really created their own sound that was like. Bad. There's not very. I mean, there are bands. Cold Chamber was similar. There was like a, a genre that was similar, but. They were like, I just remember, I remember getting on a VHS cassette. It was a, a thing of videos that weren't on MTV. It was a bunch of videos. So I got it from a friend and on it, it had that corn video. And like, when you, I can just like that thing where you hit the, the cowbell, ding, mm -hmm. ding, ding, ding. Like you hear that, you're like, you know the entire song. It's like one of those things where it clicked. And that was like a very, it, like, it was so, I remember when I heard that, I was like, I've never heard anything like this. It sounds mm -hmm. so different. You know, it was like, yeah, I mean, it's doing a lot different musically, but in like, and it's full of like a crazy idea. I mean, a lot of them don't connect, but it's full of a ton of ideas and there's definitely yeah. like choices being made in that music. Um, it, it's like a bummer to me because I feel like it's just drowned out by like all the garbage when there's like some decent stuff, decent to great stuff in there. Um, Even like Killswitch. Killswitch and Wage is great. Yeah, but they're not really new metal. They're like actual metal. <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah, I always think of them as like metalcore. I mean, like they're, they're I, metal I, to us though, but to like a hot topic fit, like they're like to the people who aren't of this world, like because I you'll find uh, well, uh, like, let me reframe that. Um, Howard, like they're from New England, so you'll find their stuff in a hot topic. So they might right. not be as big everywhere else. Oh no, they like, were like they were like, Dropkick Murphys are like the Beatles in New England, but then everywhere else they're like you know they're not not big, but like when they're in Boston they're like the Beatles. By the way. Yeah. What a cool, what a cool name. That's that's like that's a cool name. Killswitch Which Engage. One? But there was a, yeah. a there was a band that I thought uh, there was an industrial band that had the same name but I thought slightly better and they called it the Killswitch Click. Nice. So you got right. you get you got the click because they're a group, you know, but also Killswitch and they would do it Killswitch dot 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 click, you know, like. Kill so John, I know you like awesome. said you grew up with like heavy music. Is this what leads into your project for doing the um, "Don't Fall in Love with Yourself"? Um, well, and like when I was in high school, I don't remember exactly how, but I just started getting getting into like weirder stuff. You know, like like I found like Blood Brothers, and then that led to you know the Locust, and so I just yeah, got kind Locust. of like pretty obsessed with that whole San Diego scene. Um, and obviously just kept, kind of kept following all those bands and like doing deep dive stuff. Uh, and then I met uh, Justin Pearson. Uh, and I, well, actually I like was probably drunk and I like, <laughs> uh, like Facebook messaged him like nine years ago and was just nice. like, and your band nice. needs a lot to me. Um, and he's just been rad ever since. Like, I mean, he was just like, sweet dude. I was like, I really appreciate it. You know, the next show we play near you, like come hang out, we'll hang. And, uh, so I, so I did, I went to go see his band All Leather, which is like this really obnoxious, uh, like electronic band. And they played at this basement venue that with like three people and me. Um, nice. So, so uh, which is a bummer. I mean, that, that's the thing is like, Ohio is a great town for concerts, but like if they, they're not into a thing, like there's no one there. Um, but yeah, so we, I mean, we just kept in touch. And then a few years ago, I just was finally like, can I just make a movie about you? Like, cause I'm looking for a new project. This one was kind of winding down. Uh, and I figured like, regardless, like we're not going to be shooting a ton of it. So it's going to come out when it's going to come out. And like, we'll probably just kind of keep like massaging the edit. Uh, and so I just started working on that. 
was this like your passion project? Because like, are you doing this off of the back of um, beyond the beyond barricades? Beyond barricades. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that and we shot a movie in between it uh, with another local production company uh, called Powerbomb. Uh, and oh, the wrestling one? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah so it's like a it's like a wrestling thriller about like an obsessed fan that like uh, like kidnaps his like favorite up and coming wrestler. So you don't sleep, huh? That's, that's a that's not a really. Feature. That's a feature, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, there was like a ton, a ton, a ton of work that went into that. Um, like pretty much like nonstop shooting on a really tight schedule, and then I like and as assistant directing, and I also edited it. Is a yes, yes, worked with a screenwriter, or do you write co-writer? We worked with this other local production company named Six, Sickening Pictures. Um, so it was co-written by a guy named uh, Zach Shieldwalker and uh, B.J. Colangelo. And you directed? Um, uh, they they co-directed it. Oh, okay, nice. sweet. Um, but yeah, so like I was just kind of like exhausted after working on that because we were trying to get it out on a deadline and. Uh, I was like, I just need to like do something self-indulgent and for me. And so like, that's why I did it. And then it's thankfully other people were into it. Like we ran a pretty successful Kickstarter uh, at the beginning of the year. So, and we were supposed to finish that. We were supposed to, we had a whole trip planned out for our final interviews out in California uh, in April. And so like they were scheduled for like a week after lockdown happened. So we had to cancel that. I'm not so, laughing at you. I'm just oh, laughing no, no, at it's like they're scheduled for April. Um, <laughs> I, I feel I dude, I, I'm right there with you. Like 80% done on a thing, and uh, like we're, pause. We're, we're yeah. I, I mean, I for me, I appreciate the pause in a way um, because it gave me some time to catch up on another. Because I, I I was uh, working on two projects continuously, and that's not a great idea. Um, <laughs> Too much, especially because it, it's a, it's a great idea at the beginning, you know. It's yeah. a great idea when you're just shooting because you can just go for a week and whatever. But it's a terrible idea when you get to post because it's mm -hmm. like it just the post just takes hours and hours of straight. It's all in the back. It's such the iceberg, you know. Like yeah, it's it's like the, sh the shooting is like the fun, mostly fun, kind of like collecting stuff. I I compare it to building a house, and the part of shooting is collecting the materials like the, the, you know the, the wood the, the you know like the, all the pipes all that kind of stuff but the editing is putting the house together which you know you can just have a pile of stuff which is important you have to have materials but editing is where the serious work comes in yeah and i feel like it's i feel like it's more emotional than people probably think about i mean like you kind of have to be in the right headspace for whatever kind of sequence you're doing i mean if you're doing yeah. a heavy sequence i mean we have heavy sequences in all of our documentaries like you know, Chris, Chris, you talked about his sister in this one. Um, there's stuff in the Justin one that's fairly tragic. And then there's also stuff in other ones we've done. But it's like, if you're not like down to listen to like 20 minutes of a person, like talk about the worst thing that's happened to them, like you're not going to get any work done that day uh, on that kind of thing. So you need to know like where to put yourself. And even then, like sometimes I've just like stared at my computer for like hours, just like hoping something would like come to me and just be like, well, nothing got done. I have to yell at myself. Yeah. Like just, just like I'm like, it's gonna suck. So just put something down. <laughs> yeah, put, absolutely. I was like, put four, connect two, two or three people saying talking about something. And yeah, ed editing, editing is a lot like writing. Uh, and again, oh, I think it's a, it's a thing. It's, it's a thing that no one talks about. Like it's very much like the fear of the blank page when it comes to certain sequences and like 
it just like if you're just not in the right headspace sometimes you just like can't do it like there are there are like days that I wake up and I know like okay cool I'm gonna write for like hours today and then there are days I wake up and I'm just like it's nothing like I can send emails I can do other stuff but there's no way I'm gonna be able to like be creative I'm trying I've been trying to do that thing where like you like have it set time that I'm gonna work on the edit because I because I, I like I just have to get the progress done but what I've been trying to do lately is do like the follow your bliss kind of thing. Like rather than try to work on a, like what, what am I most excited to like see? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Or like, uh, I think I was talking about this before I'm working on that uh, podcast documentary and I have all this stuff with Ira Glass that I'm working on. And it's going to be real challenging to kind of like craft and get to this where I need to go and, and weave in this other person. But, and so I get overwhelmed with that, but then I'm also like, let me find what Ira Glass was on The Simpsons and grab that and go mm-hmm. find when he was on like high maintenance. Like, let me go ahead and just get that. And like, and so I put it on a timeline and start putting it together. Like, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, what's that music that they have in This American Life all the time? And so then I'm like on a Spotify list and listening to. And yeah, like, yeah. And then I'm like, and then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, oh, I found the song because I, there's a certain thing that mm-hmm. really feels like This American Life to me, you know, even though they use a bunch of different songs. So I grab it and I throw it in there and I'm like, okay. And so now I have, and all of a sudden I have that. I'm like, okay, well, I got this. <laughs> it's like, and you like, you play it like a few times. You're like, okay, that's cool. Like, it's like, but now I need to say, okay, who is Iron? Like, and that's all, all of a sudden. So then I'm like writing, you're, it, it is writing. It's writing. Like what we mm-hmm. do, like, I'm sure you had a different experience on doing the feature where you're, it's not as much writing. You're more massaging and like, and kind of like it's more timing pacing and getting mm. the right emotional mm. moments right of the actors and, and and making sure like have a cohesive tone and uh like and but on the documentary side you're like i mean i don't know what, what do you transcribe all your stuff are you are you a transcriber uh, no no i just have i just have to feel it. i've like i've tried to do that before and i just like i just feel like it's a like a big waste of time like, I kind of feel the same way about storyboarding, um, unless, like, there are very specific ways that you need to, like, communicate something visually. Like, uh, otherwise, like, I know how to, like, kind of write it out and, like, explain it to a person. Like, I mean, our entire crew has been working together for 10 years now. So, I mean, we ha- kind of have, like a, like, a secret twin language at this point. Like, everyone knows what everyone's talking about. And it's kind of one of those things where we can just mumble at each other. And it's just like, yep, got it. Well, I mean, I mean, but when you're editing, like, as you're finding stuff in your interviews, like, like you just have, you scrub the interview or? Uh, what I, what I usually do is I just, I kind of look at it as like, okay, I'm not making a movie. I'm making a bunch of different sequences and then I'm figuring out how those sequences go together. And so generally how I set it up is I just create a ton of different sequences and, mm-hmm. and timelines. And then you just go through everything and you go like, this is going to go from here. This is going to go from here. And then that way, I can decide what I want to work on and I can organize all that stuff. So it's not just kind of this like vague C that's over in that sidebar where you have all your assets. Like I know that like, these are the 30 things that I want to focus on and I can always add more stuff to it, but otherwise like that's where I'm at. And so I'm locked into the certain, um, well, like, like, like a maximum of phrases that I could put into this. So I, I like, I'm, I'm full on a transcriber, uh, but I don't use it, I use it to, I don't use it, I don't like write necessarily with the 
transcription because like it doesn't have the emotion of what someone's saying but what it lets me do is like especially when I'm doing my interviews I usually go through and I have you know like major areas or topics of you know discussion and I let things usually flow conversationally so like where that ends up in the interview might be different than where my notes are and so what I've been what I do is especially because there's this great software called uh, Descript and it's 14 bucks a month and, and it does this transcribing within like you know like a two-hour interview doing like 10 minutes and it does it on it does it has an AI system that does it like right oh, there nice. on your computer so you're, it's I don't, it's 14 bucks and I can do as, me, as many interviews as I want uh, but before I before other the other movies I I actually like on the fat rec doc I had people volunteer and transcribed all 100 what 70 interviews they transcribed Jesus so um, many I know we did 120 interviews um just 70 of them were transcribed because they're the main like main ones uh but what i found what we did with that is we put i take all the all the transcribed things and i put them in one big google doc and then i then i'm able to do keyword searches so like like on this podcast doc anyone anytime any of my people in any of the interviews have mentioned this american life i can go to that person and kind of see where they mentioned it and kind of read and then pull a, you know, pull a select. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, and then I put that in with the other people who said similar. So then I can jump like, did, so as I'm going, th so I'm going through editing and I'm like, did so-and-so ever talk about this? Cause all of a sudden you're like, it triggers a, a memory. And I'm like, did, I, just, I mean, like this person definitely talked about this. So I can kind of say like, you know, uh, or sometimes I'll even do like, like, iTunes, like I could do like iTunes and see anyone who talked about iTunes. So I'm able to like jump and find who talked about what right away. Mm. Uh, although I do listen to the interviews and go through all of them. Yeah, I, I kind of just end up compulsively listening to them. Like, like that, that's kind of my thing. I like, I like to hear like the phrasing of pe like, uh, like how people put things. And I just kind of try to devote it to memory and kind of see how it hits me once I watch mm -hmm. it a few times through. And that's like, I feel like mine's definitely way more um, like a feeling way about it more, more than that. I mean, like, like that honestly sounds great to me, but I feel like I would never be able to do that. Because what I did on the Lifer doc is I converted all the interviews into just the audio. And then what I would, as I was driving Lyft and Uber, I would listen to the interviews almost like a podcast. Mm -hmm. Just Smart. listen to him. And anytime something like jumped out at me, I'd take a, a like a, a screen grab on my phone. And then mm -hmm. when I got home, I'd go back and I'd look on the time in the interview and see like, and make a note of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, I mean, I use the transcripts. I'll even highlight different things and kind of like, as I'm just screening through like, ooh, that's a good line. And it may just be a good line on paper. And then like you go listen to it in the interview. And it's like, they're kind of like, no, 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 So it's like, okay, that doesn't really work. But yeah. it, like it, it, I don't know. I, I like the, the current, the current movie, I have a little bit of funding from some, um, my producer guy is a Hollywood type and he got us some money for, uh, to kind of keep the movie going. And so we were able to hire a, 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 a editor who mm -hmm. went through and he did this great amazing thing which I'm right now I'm loving this combination of the transcripts that I have but he also went through and made selects and at the beginning of each of his selects he put a little card 
in front of each of the grouping of the, of the groups of the things the person's talking about. So now when I find something in the transcript, I can go to his select and just like go near where the time is and just see what he said it was talking about and like, boom, okay, there it is. And so it's, it's sped up my like, uh, as I'm thinking, like, because I, I do remember the interviews because I've listened to them so many times. Like when I hear something, I can go like, oh, that, oh, I don't, because I, I feel like I'm always worried that I'm going to leave some gold you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, like something yeah, that I want to remember and I wanted to get in there because like, and, and it's like, oh shit. Um, but anyway, I'm like, just, just curious about the process. Every, everyone does everything so differently. It's so interesting to hear. Yeah, no, I, I have that anxiety way more about, uh, less about interviews because I feel like I just, I go through and organize them so consistently that like, that's not a worry. My worry is always like B-roll, like, when I feel like, oh, I can just probably scrub through this and it would be fine. I can just jump this 10 minutes because I want to get through these hundreds of tapes of it. Uh, but then like the idea that like, oh, there's gonna be something in there. So I just have to sit there and watch it. <laughs> yeah, um, otherwise, like I know that I'm just gonna be like, I didn't look at everything. And I know that there's like this one moment mm. that would have been like the moment that would make this thing successful or whatever. Do you, yeah. um, Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You go ahead, Chris. I know it's, um, I got to start kind of getting towards the, uh, wrap it up a little bit. Um, I do have a question that's kind of uh, semi-related. Um, just when I first was like learning about like you, uh, like learning about uh, like you, like your work and your company here in Cleveland, my first thought, I was like, Cleveland, I wonder if he likes Bill Watterson. And then I saw that you made Draw Hard. So like, is it safe to say you're a Calvin and Hobbes Bill Watterson fan? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like it. Uh, I'm more of... <laughs> <laughs> See ya! <laughs> um, I love that answer. No, I, <laughs> I mean, I own, I, own like, I own like four volumes of it, but like my go-tos are like Daniel Klaus and Adrian Tomain, uh, like all that kind of like 90s alt stuff. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, obviously really like Harvey Picar. Uh, that's like another local guy. Um, Crumb. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, no, I mean, Draw Hard is one of those things I'm like su super proud of. Uh, like John G's rad, he's like a local legend and like he's like one of the realest dudes that I've ever met in my life. Like that guy is no bullshit ever and he's full of wisdom. Like he just throws stuff down. Like you'll just go out and get a coffee with him and you're just like, oh, okay, well that's something I'm gonna remember forever and it's gonna change my life. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's pretty cool. It, it seems to be like kind of. I kind of get the sense from both of you too. Like you're both out seeking like stories of the people that who maybe counterculture a little bit off to the center, off center left or whatever. Not even politically speaking, but like, well, like I don't Justin Pearson. Like you know, no, no one else is making that documentary or like Annie Flag. I think they're all deserved. Or even like Draw Hard, like and even Pat Rec too. Like I think that's cool too. Like you know, um, like. What I always want to do with this podcast as well, I think what you guys both are doing is want to highlight good people doing good work. And I think that's something you both seem to have in common. Well, I'm a bad person and it's, 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 and your work oh, my work, my work sucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely something I'm interested in because it's, you know, you have to, there, there, there's that business aspect of it of like, well, you need to make something that's known. Like you need to like, it's really hard to have a, like a movie break onto the scene when like there's nothing notable about it. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm going to do something that like that and I can't get, you know, 
you know, billable actors that like you can just like put on the cover and people are going to go see it or like to do a narrative piece. Like at the very least, I want to be doing documentaries that have way lower overhead than a narrative um, and like about something I care about. Like you, like, I mean, I'm sure you know, Sean, like uh, you have to really care about these things. Otherwise, like there's no way you could have like the energy to muster to like go through this process unless you actually care about it. So well, it's like, it's, it's an excuse to like meet and get to know people I admire and like expose them more and get known for something. Yeah, I mean, so I, like there's really I, no downside to it. It's a good excuse to create a relationship with someone that you has like been important to you. It's amazing to be connected. I think it's an interesting thing to be connected with something that you love, but in a creative way and how you've like, especially with documentary, you're like, it, you know, it's gotta be weird when someone makes a documentary about you, right? You know, but it's oh, also yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's also like this thing that like, if someone makes a documentary about you, like you touch someone, or I mean, hopefully you didn't touch someone, but like, Essentially. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, touch, touch them like deeply. Um, and to the point where they're gonna dedicate like a lot of time to, to highlighting the, not just the creative work that you've done, but like who the person you are in a lot of cases. I think mm -hmm. it, I think um, I, I think that it's it's it it's I think film more than any other kind of uh, thing and I'm sure you feel this way like making music videos and stuff is great and shorts are awesome but like this thing that you made about anti-flag is going to be associated with them forever and people who like have loved anti-flag and they ever want to show someone why they love anti-flag here's a piece of art that is about why this uh, people who make art is great and why it should be remembered. Mm -hmm. And it, it, like, we still watch, like people still watch American hardcore and all those documentaries oh, yeah. about those oh, yeah, bands. Sure. They're like Salad Days was huge. You know, like it, it the, the great thing about this is that this movie is gonna live on that pantheon in, in, in groups that needed to be highlighted. And it's, it's, um, I think it's uh, an amazing thing to do for not only the artists, but, and I'm talking specifically about what you did, not me in particular, but, uh, but like for the fans of that, and I'm sure you've gotten so much email, I know you've gotten email, <laughs> you've gotten messages from people telling them oh, how yeah, important yeah. the movie is to them and how, how important anti-flag is. And the fact that you did this, like people will love you for doing it the, the people who love anti-flag will love you for doing it because you showed a light on the thing that they loved. And I think that's the power of a documentary. There's many powers of documentary. Um, but I do think that like highlighting, I mean, it's important to highlight the stuff that anti-flag talks about, talks about. Mm -hmm. but like not everything, I think it's interesting that Chris said, uh, and I know you got to wrap up soon, but um, that like, anti-flag story is like it's important you know what i mean it's an it's an important thing that people should know about yeah yeah well that's the funny thing though is like i feel like my experience in approaching people about documentary is oh, it, one they're always skeptical of like why you'd want to do it and then <laughs> right. they they think like no don't do this i don't there's no reason for there to be a documentary on me and then they end up seeing it or like in probably pretty close to its final form and they're just like oh god this is going to be the thing 
you know. Mm. Um, so I mean, it's I, it's weird. You know, I've never gone through it, so like I don't know what that yeah. feels like. But it's definitely <laughs> got to be a weird emotional roller coaster, and I'm always like trying to be cognizant of like handholding through it. Like I'm not trying to exploit you. I'm doing this because I admire you, or I'm at least interested in you, and like I need to like like. And it's a thing that like it, I feel like is worth my time, and like hopefully you can see that at the end of this, like. Um, because there's, I think there's a lot of defensiveness. I mean, it's got to be a really weird thing to know that, like, oh, cool, there's going to be like a final document on like my life. <laughs> right. so, it's also, yeah. it's also so much pressure on us. I would say, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. to be yeah, like, sure. okay, I'm telling someone. Uh, did you see Hamilton? Oh, you saw Hamilton. Uh, uh, I, haven't, I haven't watched it yet. I mean, uh, I love to be. There's a there's just like a there's a thing about you there's a there's a song there it's like you can't you you can't lit uh you can't control who lives or dies who tells your story you know you're never gonna tell oh, but, but when you but when you uh like uh, taking on that thing like it's it's an interesting place to be in because there's a there's a you want to show them authentically but that means you can't just be positive all the time. You, mm -hmm. Like, I mean, doesn't mean you try to hit piece or anything, but you have to show, like, to have any kind of weight. So it's a, like, you have to, like, how much do I show? And also, I give it to the, the people, like, if, if you choose the right subjects, I feel like the right kind of people would you want, they wouldn't want someone to be necessarily do a puff piece about them. They want someone to, you know, be a, an honest piece, you know, hopefully positive. Yeah. But, but like, an honest piece. Yeah. And I mean, it, yeah, and I don't think you need to do, like, muckraking. Like, I don't think you have to go in with the intent of just, like, oh, I'm going to undo this person. Like, just ask them challenging questions. And, like, they're going to, everyone has character flaws. And, like, they're going to reveal it themselves. And I think that, like, you can see plenty of, uh, like, antivirus character flaws or, or um, like, when, you know, when Don't Fall in Love With Yourself comes out, like, uh, Justin or anyone else is there. I mean, like, you know, to be an artist means that you're probably a fairly weird person in the sense of like, trauma <laughs> that you're trying to get out of your system you know so I mean I think it's all I think it's all there I don't think you need to go into it and be like this fucking guy like and like try to get into like re like really like try to make a hit piece on them like I if you talk to someone long enough you're you're gonna see patterns in them go like oh this person's being avoidant oh this person's being really judgmental here like and it's all gonna show up regardless mm. you know it's interesting because like in the fat one of the criticisms like I mean I, I feel like our movie was pretty fairly well received but the criticism that I I think I got the most was like oh you did a puff piece on fat records like and I'm like there's a there's a whole section that calls out fat Mike for like his drug use and how it's a little flippant and like there's someone that's literally challenging him uh, on it yeah. I mean he, he gets to say his piece but I, I feel like when you want and also there's a, a part where a band straight up says that like Punk Voter was like a, you know, a, a what do you call it, a vanity project, you know, like oh, yeah. from, mm -hmm. pro from propaganda, you know, yeah. like straight up, like, you know, it's like, how, then how is it a puff piece? Like, how is it a puff piece? I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm hashing out like two comments. Those like, really hurt, huh? <laughs> no, it's, it's like, I mean, I, I feel like there's a, there's definitely criticism of the movie. I feel like there's not a real strong three-part structure. There's, it's kind of like, I feel like it flows well, but it doesn't have a real strong, there's not a real big narrative dip. You know, there's not a real strong you know, deeply emotional part of the movie. I didn't movie. see that on the back cover as the selling point. 
I know, but I think that I, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't personally know Mike well, but I can't imagine that he could get that self-reflective to actually get to that place where you would have that sequence. I mean, I think that that's a thing to know about his character going into that movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, a, well, I mean, like, I feel, like, and, I, and I'm not saying he's not an unemotional person, but I just feel like he's going to, he, my read on him is that he would probably just try to uh, avoid it or like make a joke of it or whatever. Like every single time he probably would get up something, he would like crack a joke or like, do a lateral move conversationally to like get away from whatever the thing was. Like, I don't feel like you're going to get that big exposing, like, here's the thing. Let's talk about it for 10 minutes. I think he was, I, I'll tell you, like, I just don't think he's that kind of guy, like you said. Yeah. He's, he, but he is, like, he gave it, like, I mean, I see the movie, he's like authentic. Like, he, and he, mm -hmm. he's, he's self aware. I, I feel like he's a pretty self aware dude. I mean, I'd say he's really self aware, actually, with yeah. that Cokie the Clown shit. That's some self aware shit. Being like, I'm a bad person. Some girl got raped and we did nothing about it. I'm a, like, like I, I snuffed mm -hmm. my mother out with a pillow kind of shit. Like, man, like that guy, I think he's a, I think he's a, I, I, I think he's a really good dude that has lived some heavy life. Mm -hmm. But I think the way that he can get to those places is that he's, that he has the art in between him and right. that. Yeah. Where, it's when it's just him and a camera. I don't know that the, all of those things would come out, mm. you know, no, if, you're, I, trying I, to, if you're trying to interview him. Well, and, and I think that was the movie we were making. We weren't making a Fat Mike documentary. Mm -hmm. you know, we were making a, uh, a Fat Records documentary, which is explicitly tied to him. But the, like, what I hope we did is show that it's much more than him. Yeah, like, that's the idea is like, that it's, this is a, not just a guy. This is a, you know, a whole team of people, a family, <laughs> mm -hmm. cliche, but you know. Um, but uh, man, uh, I want to say I'm really stoked for our roundtable. Yes. Uh, yeah, me too. On uh, October second, with uh, Taylor Morton from Pick It Up um, documentary and the Last Blockbuster, and Scott Crawford from uh, Salad Days and the Cream documentary, and uh, John here. John's gonna be with us, and I'm really stoked for that. Um, um, I, I, we can t hopefully we we'll talk more with the other guys about like, you know, film a lot of filmmaking experience stuff. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, Chris, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, to do your to start doing your outro, but I felt like <laughs> I'm glad someone did. No, this is great, man. I just wanted to make sure we we plug the 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 event coming up. Oh yeah, I'll put that in the beginning as well when I do the intro as well. Um, yeah, it's good. It, it's, it, I mean, you guys are a little bit in a different spot than I am because like. Maybe to you're probably at home and you're just like living your normal life, but like to me, I'm just like you know a guy and like oh I have a podcast and it's done it for long enough and it's kind of opened little doors and it's been cool. But like you guys get to actually go and meet these people and have these experiences and present that art. Like I I have I, I've been on documentaries for years and I'm such a huge fan of both of your work. So I'm honored to be a part of this table because those all those movies like um I, I've now learned of your work now, John, but I've been going back and like big fan man. Good shit. Yeah, thank you. Dude. I appreciate it. I didn't <laughs> want to fan out on you too hard in the beginning because it's weird, but it's... Uh, but oh, no, man. I, when we were... I was so the... touched by your documentary. I'm, I, I'm not... I was so... It was that scene finding out his parents were like my parents. I'm not even kidding. It, like, it was like... I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. And like, I didn't think I'd feel hopeful, but um, you knocked it out of the park. Well fucking done. I hope... Um, I saw you had Tim from Rise Against plugging it, and obviously Camarello's in it, and like, it looks like you're teaming up with All Press. I'm, let's hope... 
let's hope this COVID has a positive effect on VOD. Yeah. You know? yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, there, there, is a, there is a 2020 bump happening that everyone's talking about where, you know, all of the major studios or even medium studios are kind of pushing all their slates back. And so there's just a gulf. Right. Like no Marvel movies came out this year. Right. Uh, and so Wait, are you a lot of Marvel fan? Because we could all come back and do a whole Marvel episode. Oh, we'll do that. <laughs> eh. <laughs> oh, never mind. He hates Marvel. He's a Marvel. He's like, meh. Yeah, no, no, I'm, no I'm an elitist. Um, no, it's fine. No, they're, they're, they're objectively well made movies that are good. That oh, I don't care. man. The <laughs> gosh. Wow. That was so I'm, not a, I'm, not a, that, I'm not a film person. Yeah, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't like the. the like it's not it's a different thing i just think it's yeah. a different thing yeah i mean I, I, I love they, they they won me over when they brought in taika watiti and he had to make one i'm like i'm all about this because now taika watiti is going to get to make whatever he wants for the rest of his life yeah no i mean i think that they should definitely be doing more of that like i think that i like i think the way that they could pull me in is giving that's a more of an authorial voice like well you know that's what's happening you know. with the uh all the next slate they're uh like the first uh, Asian woman is going to helm one, helm one. She's an independent filmmaker. Oh, that's, nice. what, that, that's what they did with um, John Favre did with the Mandalorian. Go look at the directors of the Mandalorian. They're all independent people that got brought in to do that. Oh, like, nice. Like, gotcha. like it's it's like a it's a, it's one of the cool things I think that the new like once Kevin Feige took over, he seeks out independent filmmakers. Like even the Russo brothers who did all that, they started on mm. they were they were doing. Um, that's the development and community yeah and they did and and they were slam dance guys they got mm -hmm. they well were, yeah, yeah well and and those and those guys are from cleveland too their next yeah. movie is called yeah their next movie is uh called cherry it's based on this amazing oh book, that's right that's right uh, yeah. that's written by this like uh afghanistan war uh vet with ptsd who robbed banks and it's <laughs> it's like it's it's auto fiction so like it's just like this isn't a memoir it's a novel because there's definitely crimes that i committed in this <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it's it's an amazing book. I highly recommend it. It's a, it's it's great. Um, and I don't think it's just because I know like every location he's talking about, like in the city. Right, right, right. <laughs> nice. No, I'm just saying like uh, like like I, I I think I see what they do is like a different thing. And I as like I think you need I think that needs to be there. And that, that there also needs to be like I love what you said. Like right now, this is the space for independent films to fill the void. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm like, like I want to get something out as quickly as possible, but I, I'm not going to rush anything. But I, like, I'm really excited about your screening. Like, I want to, I'm going to do the screening, even though I've seen the movie. I want to screen it and see like how the thing works that you're doing. For the Q and A. Yeah, like how how that whole play yeah. plays out. I think that's the future. I, I, I yeah, also, yeah, we'll see. You know, I mean, that's that's pretty brand new as as like a platform, so we're taking a chance on it. I think I think it's a I think it's a good I think it's a good experiment. I think that from my experience, the thing with the fat rec doc is back in April we hit like the it had a resurgence because everyone was locked on lockdown. Yeah, we mm -hmm. you know, we did like, a a watch party. We teamed up with this web uh, see alive, so we watched Spider Verse with people, and it sounds kind of lame, like just watching a movie on your like I, on your computer with your little box. And I cannot tell you how much fucking fun we had doing it. And like, I kind of made fun of like younger generations for like Twitch and all that, but that seems to be what the younger kids have been doing, just like this Dude. while like playing video games and stuff. So that's I, I, when I saw you're doing that with um your your watch your the Q and A with the director. Like, I mean, I watched all of your. I mean, I would have watched this flat if I never met you. But like, I'm probably never going to be someone who spends money to watch a premiere movie at home unless 
maybe it's my own ego, but unless there's a part where I can mm. interact with the people doing it, because I was like, yeah, I'll wait for Amazon Prime. But like, now I'm like, oh. Yeah. And I very likely wouldn't be able to come to the small theater if it came through because I have a kid and life like that stuff. I'm 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 really I, I'm I'm really excited to see that um, that you get to team up with all press and everything. Um, I'm sure we'll I know I'll talk to you guys on October second and uh, but let's let's stay in touch, man. Like anything you do, come back on any time. Open in, yeah like, yeah just, absolutely uh, I'd love to. You three three just I'll just sit back here and listen to you guys talk here. I can listen to you guys talk about that shit forever <laughs> yes. um where can people find you online uh sean you want to go first and then uh john hit let us know uh i'm open to films pretty much everything instagram twitter um uh, our website um but i will say you should go check out john's turnstile films uh dot com because his shit is fucking badass all his shit is looks so good his vimeo his uh, like like uh, all his entire uh the the turnstile cinematic universe uh <laughs> like everything is just like easy to find his website's well done i was able to like i i went on a deep dive and just started see- looking at all his stuff and kind of being like damn man this guy's like just prolific just so many cool videos and just really like uh on there's a portion of his website there's like fun stuff and if you go there there's like all these outtakes and like just like uh, really cool stuff uh, like I, I i think um Check, definitely check out his website. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Oh, Sean, did you appreciate good, it? John? <laughs> um, you can find me at, at Turnstile Films on, on pretty much everything. Uh, Turnstile spelled with a Y, not an I. Uh, so not like the band. Um, and then all my personal stuff is John Nix Film, J O N N I X Film. Uh, and yeah, and that's it. Oh, awesome. Thank you guys uh, so much. This is fucking awesome.